What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Okay, Revelation, Revelation 21, Revelation chapter 21. So we've been um, in the book of Revelation. I'm trying to finish up by next week. So I need your prayers. We're going to finish the book, Lord willing. But we left off in uh, uh, verse 8 of uh, chapter 1. Um, the other messages are online, and you can go back. And I, and I just want to spend some time here because 21 is about heaven. And listen, I, I hope everybody's going to be there. But the reality is, the reality is, I'm not sure there's going to be a lot of people there. Now, Chris, you're being kind of negative. Well, listen, we want to focus on God's word and allow his word to speak, to see if we're going to be there. Because his word is truth. But look what it says in 21.8. It says, as for the cowardly, the cowardly, those that continually shrink back and deny Christ, the faithless, the faithless is my life is your life defined by being faithful or being faithless and this is why here's my heart lord speak what is true the detestable the detestable things that are 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 wicked and vile ungodly the murderers. And remember what Scripture says, if you have hatred in your heart towards someone, you've committed murder in your heart. Is there any hatred in your heart today? The sexually immoral. That is all sex outside of marriage. Self-pleasure, pornography. Sleeping together before you're married, listen, that's sexual immorality. Then it says sorcerers. Sorcerers, that's the Greek word there is pharmacy. It's where we get the word pharmakia. In, in Old Testament times and, and, and when this was written, there would be people doing drugs and summoning demonic spirits and so... Pharmacy, pharmakia, idolatry, and all liars. Liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians 6. Keep your place here. Because we'll be, we'll be coming back.
While we're in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 6, I, I'd like you to put the bridge illustration up because this is, um, it's, a, it's a kid's version, okay? The gospel is pretty straightforward, okay? So Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, so we deserve death because of our wages. Our sin, if that chasm in between man and God, our sin, it separates us from God. We are separated from God. But the gift of God, this is the gospel, this is why Christ came, this is the purpose of the baby in the major, is that Jesus was born to save us from our sins. Jesus' death was, was a gift from God, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so Jesus, he took away our sin, and he made a pathway forward to God. Because of our sin, because we were unholy, because that what we just read, listen, everybody in here has lied. Everybody. And if you're saying, no, I have never had, you're a liar. And this is a pretty straightforward thing, the gospel. Jesus died for my sins, and when I put my faith and my trust in what he did on the cross, the finished work, I can't work my way into heaven. I can't be good enough to get into heaven because how much good do I have to do? No, it is by grace that you and I are saved through faith and not by works. It's what Jesus has done. And as I acknowledge I've sinned against a holy God and I deserve the cross, I deserve wrath, I deserve hell, and I ask God to forgive me and to cleanse me of all my sins, and I put my faith in what he did, his death, burial, and resurrection, the Bible says I have eternal life. I've crossed over from death to life. And this was all done by Jesus. It's all done by Jesus. And we just put our faith in it. Now, here's the problem. You're not going to find in the Bible, pray this prayer and you're saved. And so much of our church, and I say this with a broken heart, is, is the pastor is charged to give assurance of salvation to people. And let me say something, that's not my job. My job is to question you whether or not you're really in or not. That you make your calling and election sure. And so when you read this list, in heaven, the people that are not going to be there, right? The sexually immoral, the liars, the murderers, the cowardly, the, the ones that do detestable things. Like that list, is there a conviction on your life that, wait a minute, that's kind of how I roll. And my challenge to you today, if that's how you roll, if that's how you do what you do, if that's how you're living, man, I would be afraid. I would be afraid. Why do you ask that? Well, we're already there. 1 Corinthians 6. We'll start in verse 9. It says, Or do you not know 
1 Corinthians 6, verse 9. We're going to come back to Revelation 21. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And by the way, we get our righteousness not by what we do, but by what Christ did on the cross. Scripture declares, him who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. So my righteousness is not because of my works, it's because of my faith in God. But if I really do have faith in God, if I really do believe in Jesus, if I really do follow Jesus, meaning I live like he's real, then I'm not going to come under deception. It says, do not be deceived. Neither sexual, neither the sexual immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. That means we used to roll like that, but we don't roll like that anymore. Why? Because I'm born again. Because I'm saved. I don't live like that anymore. And so this false notion of people coming down to the altar and praying the prayer and living how they want to live without ever turning from their sins, without ever trying to be holy, that's a concern for me because there's a lot of people, for, for instance, as I've done evangelism and prayer walks, I'll roll up to dudes selling drugs on the corner. They know who I am. I know who they are. They pull out their little orange Gideon's Bible in their back pocket saying, I pray every morning. What are you praying for? Jesus, can you help me sell more drugs? Can you help me make more money as I ruin people's lives? Oh, yeah, man, I'm saved. I'm saved. I was saved at my grandma's church. I'm covered by the blood. I'm covered by the blood, and I do what I want. Listen, Scripture says don't be deceived. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, Chris, are you preaching you're saved by your works? No. I'm preaching that you need to examine yourself. Look at yourself. God, Holy Spirit, do I really, really care about becoming like you, which is holy? Be holy as I am holy, the scriptures say. And so I've got to examine myself. And listen, I can't examine myself apart from the Holy Spirit. I need God from outside of me to come and examine myself. Is this how I live? I don't want to come under deception thinking that I prayed this prayer, but I really don't care about anything that has to do with God. That's a very dangerous place that a lot of the church is in. I want you to go over to 1 Corinthians 11. So again, we're going to heaven today, guys. But before we get there, I want to make sure everybody here, 
is examining themselves with the Holy Spirit by the word of God, making sure, okay, yeah, yeah, I really, really do believe in Jesus. First Corinthians eleven twenty three. By the way, this is we have communion up front here. At the end of the service, when we sing and we worship God, communion doesn't get you into heaven. And we're warned here in this text, which is why we're here, before you go and take communion, you need to examine yourself. Because if you don't, you could get sick or you could die. Some of you that bring young kids, listen, don't let them flippantly come up here and do some kind of ritual. That's very, very dangerous. We need to examine. So listen, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. It says, for I received from the Lord, and this is Paul talking to the church, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself. And I want you to highlight That is the role of the pastor, not to give assurance of salvation, but to push back on you and trusting you to the Holy Spirit, saying you need to examine yourself. Let each person examine himself. Then verse 28, 1 Corinthians 11. And so eat the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why, listen, if someone is just living in consistent rebellion and sin and they flippantly go up here and they take communion. Well, this is what this is what it says. When you do that. It's why many of you, verse 30, are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the rest of the world. So you are called to examine yourself, to ask the Holy Spirit to speak what is true. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 13, please. And again, There's a consistency in Scripture. It's why we're going here after we've been to Revelation 21.8 is where we're started because there's a serious, serious concern. Some people really do believe that they're saved, but there is zero desire to be holy. There's zero desire to leave their life of sin. There's zero desire for the things of God. Second Corinthians 13, 5. 
It says examine yourselves. Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. There, that means this, that some people believe they're in the faith, but they're not really in the faith. Because they're just flippantly coming forward to pray a prayer. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? See, if Jesus Christ, who is holy, is in you, it should produce holiness in you. This is why Jesus said you'll recognize the kind of tree that it is by the fruit that it bears. That's why Scripture says the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy and peace and kindness and patience and goodness, right, and self-control. There's fruit that should happen for a person that's been born of God, born again. But if there's no fruit, Unless you indeed, verse 5, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Unless you indeed fail to meet the test. So again, examining and testing yourself. Am I in? Am I in? I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. But we pray to God that you may not do wrong. Christians who are born again, your your purpose and your intention is that you do not want to do wrong. Not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right. So it's not just about not doing wrong. It's also about, man, I want to do right. I want to do good. I want to seek the kingdom first. There is a transformation that happens that I turn away from this old life and now I put on Christ and now this new way of life New priorities, new motives, new intentions. And this is what Scripture is declaring. I want you just to listen to some texts. And again, just say, Holy Spirit, speak what is true over my life. John 5.14, this is Jesus speaking after he healed somebody. It says, after Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus telling somebody that was healed, sin no more so that nothing worse will happen to you. Where's the grace, Chris? Listen, listen, listen. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You cannot have grace apart from truth. That's a false grace. It's a false grace. Ephesians 5. Just listen. Verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor, nor foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. So it's not just a list of don'ts, but it's also a list of, of do's. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, impure, who is covetousness, 
that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God's wrath is for those who continue to disobey. 1 John 3, 9. It says, no one born of God makes a practice out of sinning. For God's seed, which is the Holy Spirit, abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, by this, it is evident who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So scripture, and there's more passages, by the way, Romans 1 and 2, you can read it at your own time. I could keep going, but listen, if you are born again, examine yourself. Are there fruits that are really, really repentant? Like, I do not want to live like this anymore, and I'm going to do whatever it is to be made well. After my conversion, I remember falling into sin. There's a difference between practicing sin, and you heard the word practice multiple times. Practice means that it is a lifestyle. So when I, when I played basketball, I was practicing my ball handling, practicing my shooting. I was practicing, like lifting weights and running. I was practicing, right? Why? Because my goal was to be a good basketball player. Guess what? I don't do any of that anymore. You know why? Because I don't care. (laughs) I, I ain't trying. So I quit practicing. Scripture's saying those who practice such things, that means that's what their heart's desires are. But I remember falling. And I remember being so broken over that fall. That I said, I, I, God, I'm so sorry. I cannot change myself. Please change me. And I remember going on a fast where I'm like, I don't want to eat. I want you to burn in me a pure heart, a holiness, God, because I don't ever want to spit in your face again. I don't ever want to take the blood and your broken body for granted again. I'm tired of spitting in your face, Jesus. I'm tired of that life. I want to be holy. I want to worship you. And what was that? That was the cry of the Holy Spirit that was in me, which gives evidence to the fact that I'm saved. And some of you have no such cry. And I'm concerned. I'm concerned. The Holy Spirit is holy. We forget that. Which means there's going to be a desire for holiness. If there is no desire for holiness in your life, is there, if there is no practice so that you can be pure in your life, man, I'm concerned. I'm really, really concerned. And you should be concerned as well. Now listen, the gospel... You're saved by grace through faith, not because of your works. 
but you know that you're saved because you're, you're having this desire that's producing works. And faith without works is what? Dead. So there should be some works that we should point to. Let's go back to Revelation 21, please. Now listen, if you're not sure today, we have prayer partners that want to pray for you. And God's grace is in this place. But listen, I, I, I'm just reading the text, guys. And for some reason in Revelation chapter 21, God's speaking all about heaven. And then he puts this here. Why? Because he wants you to examine yourself. To make sure that you're going to be there one day. That you don't make a practice out of sinning. All right, verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me a holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven God. So here is an amazing shift. Here's this angel who poured out the last seven bowls of wrath. And now he shifted and he's on to something else. And as I was reading this and rereading this, I felt like the Lord simply putting on my heart, Chris, there's people here who are not shifting. You're not shifting. You're not being like this angel. Can you imagine what that angel had been through? Pouring out the wrath of God, but now there's been a shift. The old is gone, the new has come. And I want you to keep your place here. I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, please. Some of us, including myself, can't seem to shift. There's tapes that continue to play in our mind. I'm always going to be like that. I can't seem to overcome. I have this issue. Like when you say, I have this issue, what is that, your pet? I have this issue. When in reality, all of my issues, Jesus, I give them to you. You take them. I don't want them. Philippians 3, 12. And here's Paul saying, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect. Listen, Christian, you're never going to be perfect. Get over yourself. We follow the perfect one, which should cause us to strive for perfection. But it's because of a heart of love and gratitude for what Christ has done. Not to prove, not to earn salvation. It should be motivated out of love. And Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm 
already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. And you want to highlight this. But one thing I do. If he's saying there's one thing he does, that's pretty important right there. You might want to highlight it. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to lie what lies ahead, I press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying this one thing I do, I forget about my past, my past mistakes, my past sin, my past failure, even last week, how I should have done this, but I didn't do this. Oh, God, I want to forget about that. I want to appropriate the blood of Jesus Christ over my past mistakes, and I want those things to be nailed to the cross. I want them to stay on the cross, and I want to forget about that stuff, and I want to walk forward in the newness of Christ. The upward call of Christ, yeah, Christ is in me, the hope of glory. And there's a shift that's happened in a person's life. And listen, listen, saints, verse 15, you need to underline this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. So here's what Paul's saying. Mature people that are mature in Christ, they're not spending any mental capacity on what happened last week, what they did or didn't do. They've repented. They believe that God has forgiven them and he separated their sins as far as the east is from the west. And they don't stay fixed and focused on their past. They're moving forward with Christ. Mature people, they make a shift to forget about the past and move forward and stand in Christ alone. And so would you say, disciple, that that would describe your walk throughout the week? Do you walk around condemned what you should have done, what you, you shouldn't have done, just all constantly nagged by that? Or are you glorying in the cross of Jesus Christ, knowing that you're forgiving and pressing on to be who Christ has called you to be. Again, mature people think like that. Mature people also see other people like that. Where we're not looking at somebody from how they were a year ago. That we want to see them like Jesus saw Peter. Peter, listen, I, I know your name's Simon, but I'm naming you Little Rocky. I'm naming you Little Rocky. I'm giving you a new name. See, Christ wasn't treating Peter as his sins deserve, but he was treating him through the backdrop of the lens of Christ, of the blood of Christ. Peter, you're going to deny me three times, but you know what? I've, I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when I restore you, I want you to strengthen your brothers. I want you to strengthen your brothers. He's not holding Peter by, 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 by what he was going to do. He was actually looking forward in Peter's life. Do you see yourself like that? Do you see others like that? Oh, man, I don't even want to talk to that person. They never listen. Oh, wait a minute. They never listen. What is that? 
That would be the past. Love believes the what? Best. I'm not walking in love if I'm labeling them with their past. And listen, you're not walking in love if you're labeling yourself with your past. The cross of Christ screams that you are forgiven. You are forgiven. Make the shift like the angel. Bowls, kingdom. Listen, the wrath on the, uh, uh, that, that cross, that cross, Jesus, the wrath of God was on that cross, Isaiah 53.10. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. And so as we receive Christ, all of our sins are nailed to that cross. And we need to focus on, on Christ and who he is and the fact that we are a new creation in Christ. Father, help us as a church to walk like that. Just to give you our past failures, our past patterns, our past mistakes, our past issues. We just say, yes, God, they're nailed to the cross. They're nailed to the cross. They're not coming off. That's not our identity anymore. And I pray we would make that shift, God. That we would walk mature, that we would walk forward in Christ, that we would agree with 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 first John two six, that if that if anyone claims to be in Christ, he must walk as he walked. May we walk forward like that in Christ in Jesus name. Amen. Let's go back to verse 11, 21, Revelation 21. So let's shift with the angel and let's get into heaven, guys. Verse 11, Revelation 21, it says, it says, having the glory, this is the fullest expression of glory, the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, like a clear crystal. There's a key word here, and it's the word like, meaning it's indescribable. It's otherworldly. He can't explain it. He's trying to say it's like. Because it's so amazing. God is giving us enough words here to excite us, but leaving it blurry enough to surprise us. Guys, Scripture declares we have no idea what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be mind-blowing. See, when it says having the glory... What usually comes to your mind, having the glory, right? It's like maybe a glow, maybe a bright light. But listen, Scripture describes glory differently. I don't know if you remember this, but in Exodus 33, Moses says to God, show me your what? Your glory. And then God shows him his glory. It wasn't that the glory was the bright light. The glory was his character and his nature. In fact, it says this, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. 
And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Then the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger. I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity. I forgive rebellion. I forgive sin. That's his glory. That's his glory, his character and nature. And can you imagine a place that is full of his presence and his character and his nature? Do you know how good that's going to feel to be overwhelmed with the glory of God? But you know what else is part of his glory? He continues on. I do not excuse the guilty. So there's justice in his glory. I lay the sins of the parents on their children and grandchildren. The entire family's affected. Even the children to the third and fourth generation. Parents, this is why your holiness is important. Because it's not just affecting you, it's affecting your children. This is part of God's glory. And when Moses saw the glory of God, it says, Exodus 34, 8, he immediately threw himself to the ground and worshiped. He fell down on his face and he worshiped. What is it going to be like to be in the glory of God? To be in the presence of God? Having the glory, Revelation 21, 11, having the glory of God, the fullest expression of God's glory. Listen, Moses experienced the backside of God. You, you need to go read Exodus 33 and 34 in your own time. But, but God is saying, nobody can see my face and live. So I am going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by you. And when I pass by you, I'm going to let you see my backside. So he saw the back end of God's glory. He didn't even see the full thing. We're going to see it all in heaven, and we will dwell in his glory. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 16. Hey, guys, do your good works in such a way where it brings what? Glory to your Father in heaven. When we drip in the character and nature of God, when we walk in his presence, it's the glory of God on our life which brings him glory. Because when we're poked, when we're prodded, when we're maligned, And we don't react and respond like the rest of the world, but we forgive. We turn the other cheek. That brings glory to God. Why? Because we're being gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving. Let's go to verse 12 of uh, Revelation 21. So again, there's there's this great, it had a great high wall with 12 gates. And, and at the gates, 12 angels. And on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. Now, I want you to put Isaiah 66, 22 there, just for sake of time. This is really important that you, you grasp what this is saying here. And we'll, I'll come back to it. So the gates, the names of the 12 tribes. So the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, every one of the gates is going to have one of those names on it. 13, 
On the east, three gates. The north, three gates. The south, three gates. On the west, three gates. Verse 14, on the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so here you have two different things here. You have Old Testament and New Testament kind of coming together. You have the sons of Israel. This is, again, why replacement theology is no bueno. It's no good. We want to reject that. That we see in heaven God still has a plan for Israel. He has never broken his covenant with Israel, even though Israel continues to break his covenant. And then there's the apostles. It's the New Testament. The apostles of the Lamb. Why I had you highlight and write down Isaiah 66, 22 is because it says this. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make, speaking of the new Jerusalem, by the way, of, of Revelation 21, shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. And he's talking to the Israelites. There is a covenant that's there that he has made with them in the book of Isaiah that he's pointing to. And now we see the fulfillment of that covenant with their names at the gates in the new Jerusalem coming down. Why should that encourage you and me? Because for the history of Israel, they are known for this. Breaking the covenant. Breaking the law. Rebelling against God. But yet, God kept his covenant with Israel. He kept his covenant with David, who committed adultery with Bathsheba and then killed a guy to cover it up. He broke all ten commandments in that one sin. But God kept his covenant with David. And he said, There's ne- your, your lineage, talking of Jesus, will be on your throne a seed coming from you will be on the throne, Jesus. And so listen, if God can keep his covenant with the Israelites, how much more will he keep the covenant that we have in Yeshua, whose body was broken for us, whose blood was shed for us, Christ and his obedience And sacrifice on the cross is now, by faith, my obedience. And so nothing, nothing can separate me from the love of God and the new covenant in Jesus' blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, guys. Both are there in heaven. Both are there in heaven. Let's continue on. Verse 15, Revelation 21. It says, And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and the gates and the walls. And the city lies four square. Its length, the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. So go ahead and put up the picture of the United States, please. So the New Jerusalem, let me just give you for sake of time the dimensions right here. This is how big the New Jerusalem is coming out of heaven when you do all the math, okay? It's a cube. And so there's this guy, Dr. Henry Morris. Listen to what he says. He's assuming that there's been, from the history of the world, about a billion people on this earth, the human race. And if 20% of them will be saved, 
he calculated by these dimensions that every Christian, every person that's in heaven, will have about 75 acres of land all to themselves. So praise God, guys. I got no backyard, no front yard right now. I'm in a little townhouse, so hallelujah! Again, this is highly speculative, but it illustrates the point that there is a lot of room in heaven. Now, you keep acting up, you're going to be on an acre and a quarter, okay? I'm just not, it, it doesn't. What's also interesting about this, next picture, please, of the Holy of Holies, is that I highlighted it in red. The Holy of Holies is a cube. The New Jerusalem is a cube. And what God is saying, the tabernacle, the temple, in heaven, when it comes down, the whole thing is going to be the Holy of Holies. And guys, this is at the beginning. Listen, he says, be holy for I am holy for without holiness, no one will see the Lord. That's scripture. Now, my holiness comes from the cross, but because I have the Holy Spirit in me, man, there should be a desire for holiness breaking out because what heaven is, is we're going to live forever in this cube of the new Jerusalem coming down, which is the holy of holies. Nothing unclean, nothing vile will be in. Let's go to verse 17. He also measured its wall. 144 cubits, which is 216 feet, or if you like football, 70 yards. By human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. And the wall was built out of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper. The second was sapphire. The third was agate. The fourth was emerald, the fifth was onyx, the sixth was carnelian, the seventh was chrysolite, the eighth was beryl, the ninth was topaz, and the tenth was chrysoprase, the eleventh was jacinth, and the twelfth was amethyst. So, listen, church, foundations are usually not seen. But this foundation is going to be seen. And it's going to be glorious and radiant. Someone sent me this video, and I thought it was interesting, so I'm going to play it for you real quick. New Jerusalem, it said, is built, made up of 12 precious stones that we would make into jewelry now. Now, here's the fascinating thing, which to me is the final proof that that book is the Word of God, that it must be God-inspired. In the last generation only, we've discovered how to make purer light than we had before. Most light is bouncing around, waves crashing into each other, going in all directions, so that the light coming from that spotlight still lights this side of my face by reflecting off that that tinsel up there. Um, We're used to light coming at us from all directions. But we've now discovered how to send light in one direction. Laser light is the most common. You've seen laser light beams straight as a die. 
but we've also got what we call cross-polarized light. A polarized filter, if you can imagine, allows lights through like that. But if you put another polarized filter at right angles to that, you've really got a very fine filter. If you take sunglasses and take one lens and put it at right angles to the other, it goes even darker. It only lets very straight light through. Now, people have taken jewels and precious stones and cut a very thin slice for microscopic purposes and then shone cross-polarized light through them to see what happens, to put it very crudely, what happens to these precious stones in pure light. And one of two entirely different things happens with every jewel. The technical term, to give you a bit of science for a moment, is anisotropic jewels and isotropic jewels. Now what happens is this, some jewels in pure light, whatever their color to begin with, they may be red, blue or green, turn into all the colors of the rainbow and the most fantastic patterns. Other precious stones in pure light lose all their color, just go black, look like a lump of coal dust. And it's only in the last, this generation, that people have discovered this unusual property. For example, diamonds in pure light are nothing. Did you get that, ladies? They're not Did even... You hear a... that? Diamonds, nothing. nothing. They won't be there. <laughs> no, so make the most of them here. <coughs> Rubies, uh, garnets, just lose everything. Emeralds. No, they keep it. I could. There are other stones that are anisotropic and go into these beautiful colors. Now, here's the fascinating thing. The 12 precious stones that God uses to build the new Jerusalem are all anisotropic. In pure light, they are all far more beautiful. And God doesn't touch the diamonds or the rubies. He doesn't build with them. Now, let's just put on the screen a picture of these stones. Yeah. Look at the top 12 stones on this picture and you'll see the stones of the New Jerusalem. Look at the four bottom ones at the bottom of the picture and you'll see they're black, no attraction, whatever. Now then, who knew this 2,000 years ago? No scientist knew it. Nobody knew it. John the Apostle writing the, down the book of Revelation as the Lord dictated it to him, he didn't know. Nobody knew except one person in the entire universe, and he knew, and that was God himself. Where is that written exactly? Revelation 21, right. halfway through, and you'll find all the 12 stones listed there. And you can just imagine from the picture we've seen on the screen how beautiful the new Jerusalem is going to be. No need for do-it-yourself decoration or changing rooms there. No need. The materials that God uses will be fabulous. From verse 19, 21 right. verse 19. Read them out. Uh, the first foundation was jasper. Yeah. The, uh, the, the second, sapphire. The third, chalcedony. The fourth, emerald. The fifth, sardonyx. The sixth, uh, carnelian. The seventh, chrysolite. The eighth, Beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, uh, chrysoprase, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, uh, the twelfth, amethyst. No diamonds, no rubies, 
No garnets. All right, enough said, right? Pretty cool, huh? So listen, God, he is pure light. In him, there's no darkness. He's pure light. And we can't even imagine what what heaven is going to be like. Let's continue on. Verse 21. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls. And each of the gates made of a single pearl and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. That's why I joke around and say, hey, I don't wear pavement around my neck. Because I'm operating with a different mindset, right? A kingdom mindset. Let's go ahead and put up the picture of the world's largest pearl, please. There it is right there. It's 75 pounds. Now, listen, that's the best that the world has. 75 pounds. It's two foot long. All right, 26 inches to be exact. And it was hidden under somebody's bed anyway. But can you imagine a pearl 1,400 miles high, one single pearl? Huh? I, I don't have that. Why the pearl? Why? Now, this could be, but listen, what did Jesus say in Matthew 13? The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine what? Pearls. Who, on finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all he had to buy it. I want you to understand something. Pearls come from oysters. Oysters, according to Jewish teaching, Old Testament law, are unclean. You don't, you don't eat those. They're not kosher. Pearls are formed when oysters are wounded. Pearls are formed when oysters are wounded. And so the more wounding, the bigger the pearl. All right? So when Jesus says, don't throw your pearls to swine... What he's saying is your deep woundings, your deep hurts, your deep pains that you've experienced that have caused beautiful things in you, you don't go share them with the rest of the world. You share them with the people of God so they don't trample and use that stuff against you. It's one way to translate that. And here, us as a church are going to be reminded every time we walk in that city for all eternity. The wounding of Jesus made me a pearl of great price. And that gate that I walk through day and night, in and out, I'm going to be reminded a 1,400-foot pearl gate, single pearl. It reminds me of the wounding of Jesus. It reminds me of my Savior who was bruised and wounded for me, and he sold all he had just to have me. Man, heaven's going to be amazing. Verse 22, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And so, guys, perfect communion and harmony with the Lord. There's no need to go to church anymore. You're going to be in the temple You're in the temple. Verse 23, 
And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the lamp is the Lamb. By its light, the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day. And there will be no night there, and they will bring it to Bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Listen, right now, guys, what are we bringing? What are we bringing to eternity? What glory can you bring the Lord right here, right now? One day in heaven, we're not just going to be sitting around singing songs. No, we are creating the image and the likeness of God. He is a creator. He is always working. Jesus said, my father is always working. So God is always working, which means in heaven, we're going to have jobs to do. We're going to be out doing something somewhere, right, in outer space or something. I don't know what it's going to be like. But, but when we're done with whatever he's given us to do, we're going to bring our glory back into the new Jerusalem where the gates are never going to be shut. But right now, right now, what are you doing for his glory? When we do things and feel led to do things that God is leading us to do, the question isn't, okay, I'm going to go do it, but the question needs to be, okay, God, how can you get the most glory out of this? How can I not get any glory? This is the heart of John the Baptist. May he increase and may I decrease. You be glory, you be glory, you be glorified. Verse 27, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable. This is the second time that word's used. It was used in verse 8, and it's used here in 27 again. God's not being redundant. He knows we're thick. Listen, do you do detestable things? Are you false? Are you living a false life? Is there hypocrisy just, just constantly happening in your life where you're, hey, brother, how you doing? Oh, I'm blessed to the Lord and highly favored. But the reality is you're broken and you're wounded. Is there anything false? God, I love you, I love you, I love you. And he says, if you love me, obey my commands. Okay, I guess I don't love you, God. I guess I don't love you because I have no desire to obey your commands. And see, listen, and that is what's real. That is what's truth. And that's where we have to be. When you begin to acknowledge that, that is true repentance. That is truth reigning in your life. That, God, I love my sin more than I love you. But I can't stop. I can't change. I need you. Would you change me? That's the kind of heart that is truly repentant. But the playing around hypocrisy in the church, I'm saved by the blood. I'm saved by the blood. I'm covered by the blood. And you just do what you want to do and live how you want to live?
Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Is your name in there? Are you truly born again? Are you truly saved? Jessica, if you could put up the, the bridge illustration again. Were you serious? Are you truly in the kingdom? Are you truly born again? I pray you wouldn't leave here today without making your calling and election sure. Are you struggling with sin? Listen, this is why discipleship is needed. This is why you need somebody. This is why, why we're here today. But please, 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 I want to see all of you in heaven. And please don't play games with God. He's not like your mama. Father, I thank you for this time. As we turn our hearts to you in worship and adoration and song. We thank you for the beautiful cross. We thank you for this time of year where we celebrate that you came into this world to save sinners of which I am the worst. I pray, God, that that everybody here today would make their calling and election sure, that they would examine their hearts before you, and that true repentance would happen, God, in all of our lives. For truly, there's things I need to repent of, God. And I know everybody here is in the same boat. pray for revival. I pray against worldly sorrow that produces death, but I pray, God, for true repentance that leads to salvation, that produces zeal, that produces a desire to cleanse oneself. I pray for that today, God. God, be glorified. We cannot wait to be with you forever. And it's my prayer that everybody here would go in. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.